Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Well, who's excited to receive the word this morning? I'm excited for you guys to meet one of my dearest friends. And uh, Pastor David and Patty are from Miami. And uh, as avid Marlins fans, when he asked me, how long, can I, how long should I preach at Encounter Church? I said, nine to 29 minutes would be fine. Uh, some of you got it. <laughs> Sorry, guys, the, the Marlins did win the series, though. <laughs> <laughs> David didn't even laugh. <laughs> the Marlins are my second favorite team just because of you. All right. <laughs> How y'all doing this morning? You look great. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping, receiving his word as a family? Um, about five years ago, I think we just realized yesterday that it was almost, it's almost been exactly five years ago that we met um, at a pastor's round table in Louisiana. And uh, you guys, some of you were here a few weeks ago when Pastor Antoine Ashley was here, right? Man, that was great. When I told you guys that Pastor Antoine is part of a mentorship group that, uh, that I'm in with Pastor Joel Stockstill, Pastor David also happens to be part of that group, and he is an awesome preacher. So you better be ready to receive the word this morning. So some of our very, very good friends that have, uh, we've developed a really good friendship over the past few years. I want to, you guys to give the very, very best Atlanta, Georgia, North Georgia, Kansas. Welcome to Pastor David and Patty Perez. It is so awesome to be able to be here with you guys this morning. I just told Hunter that I think what made me laugh the most about his 9 to 29 joke is the fact y'all didn't get it. So I, 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 uh, I, I did enjoy that. I told him this morning, preaching with an Atlanta Braves hat right in front of me might be distracting. But I actually grew up a Braves fan uh, because there was no baseball team in Miami when I was young. And so I grew up a Braves fan. As a matter of fact, when I would play any of my baseball games on my video games, I always chose the Atlanta Braves. I always put Otis Nixon as the leadoff with Deion Sanders batting second. So that, that was the, the team I grew up watching. Anybody remember those Braves teams back then? Uh, but uh, it is a joy to be here. I, I do want to say thank you to Caleb. Where's Caleb? So one of the reasons I'm here today is because of his persistent outreach and follow-up to everybody in the church database. I don't know how I ended up on Encounter Church's database about three years ago, but I got a call on a Friday or Saturday saying, hi, can I speak to David? And I was like, this is he. He was like, I'm calling you. This is Caleb from Encounter Church, and I want to invite you to our Easter service tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I, I said to him, um, and I am good friends with Hunter, and so I was, able, I was like, man, I don't go to churches where the pastor's name is Hunter. <laughs> and I can just imagine his face, but... Um, but he, he was cool with it. But I told him yesterday when I saw him, I was like, you know, I'm going to say it. I, I'm, I'm going to thank you for, for not giving up and inviting me and, and, and having me. But um, your pastor uh, is a dear friend. Um, 
your pastor is someone who over these last five years, and I, I, I thank the Lord for a flight getting delayed in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana's airport. Um, we were at that round table back in November, five years ago, and um, we were on the same flight because my layover or my switch was gonna be here in Atlanta uh, to fly down to Miami. And we boarded and then they kicked us off the plane. Everybody, not just him and I, everybody <laughs> off the plane. And um, in that time we, we got to talking and uh, him and other pastor and myself and we really developed a, a friendship. And I wanna say thank you to your pastor and to your church for lifting up your pastor. Uh, he's someone that I reach out to when I'm having a low day. He's someone I reach out to when uh, as a pastor I'm hurting. And uh, I thank God for his friendship and for his relationship and for him being there. And you guys have an amazing pastor. Um, and um, I, I totally thank God for his life and, and for his wife, Liz. And um, it's an honor to have my wife with me here today. Uh, and our three girls, um, we have three beautiful girls. You'll probably see them later or we'll be around. But um, it's just a joy to be here in Atlanta. Uh, in the house of the Lord here at Encounter Rejoicing in this sanctuary. I can't wait to see it completed and um, what God is doing next time. Amen. So uh, let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, minister to our hearts. Father, let it not be me, my words, but let it be you that ministers through this morning. We thank you, Father, for your word never returns void. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Father, for we will see that breakthrough for we will see the victory. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you have done in our lives and all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give guys, give God one more hand of praise this morning? I'm laughing because I... I um, the pulpit at our church, I didn't design it. Um, the pulpit at our church was designed by somebody from our church who made our, our, our altar design stuff. And he was like, Pastor, I'm going to make you this cool pulpit. But the thing is literally like ginormous. So I, I, it's like I stand, be, I, I'm the only one at our church can use it. Some of the other pastors of the church, they got to use something else when they preach because they get lost behind it. Um, but I'm, I'm like trying to, I'm, I'm used to, <laughs> I'm used to spreading everything out. And, and I'm like, all right, how do I not drop anything? <laughs> I hope you've got your Bibles with me this morning, or with you, and uh, be ready to take some notes. I'm going to give you some scripture references uh, that I'm going to give you as homework to write them and read them later. How many of you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God? And it's not enough to just hear it on Sunday. It's in your daily reading and your daily connection to God that gets you through everything that you face. And so I encourage you to jot things down and revisit it, go back to it throughout the week and do that on Wednesdays when, when there's a message taught. Do it in your small groups, take notes in your small groups um, and, and always be able to go back to it, amen? We are living in a battle. We are living in a war. We are in a time that we are fighting. And the thing that we've got to realize is that this battle that we are fighting is not a battle that is fought in the flesh or in the physical. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, our enemy, he comes to do three things. He comes to kill, he comes to steal, and he comes to destroy. Can you say that with me this morning? Kill, steal, destroy. 
That's what the enemy comes to do. He has come to kill. He has come to steal. He has come to destroy. But Jesus says he has come to give us life and life abundantly. Now, the issue is that many times we fight this fight that we are fighting not in the way we're supposed to fight it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number five, Ephesians chapter number five, where we read about the armor, it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, chapter 10, verses six, or three to six says that our weapons are not carnal. And how many of you have heard that old saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? All right, can I, can I change that up a little bit? Too many Christians are bringing flesh to a spiritual fight. And we don't realize that the fight that we are waging is not a carnal fight. And we spend our time fighting the people who have a demonic spirit behind them trying to silence the Lord in your life. So we're bringing the flesh into a spiritual fight. Too many churches in this country and around the world are more focused on how many Instagram followers they have, how good the coffee is, how good everything is done. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? I I do want to make sure I say that. I don't drink much coffee, but there's nothing wrong with having coffee. But they're too focused on that, on systems and structure, and that's what's going to make it go, that we stay there. And so we've got so many baby, immature Christians who have been in the faith for 20, 30, and 40 years. And because they've been in the flesh, even though they're a believer for 20, 20, 30, 40 years, they continue to bring the flesh into a spiritual fight. And every time you bring the flesh into a spiritual fight, you will lose. Every single time. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. We see when Elijah is threatened by Jezebel. And the Lord showed me something very interesting in this passage. I wasn't even going to mention it, but we're going to go there. In the chapters leading up to it, you see Elijah, one of the most powerfully used men of God in the Old Testament. I mean, the guy had just challenged 450 prophets of Baal. He mocked them as they were cutting themselves and dancing and all kinds of stuff. And he would say, can you scream a little louder? Maybe he's sleeping. He's busy. And when he was tired of mocking them, he said, all right, let me, let, let, let's make this interesting. Bring me 12 buckets of water and pour it over the altar. Wait, wait, bring me another set of buckets of water. It was, says it was so many, so much water was deposited on it that the whole entire trough around the altar was filled with water. And then he said, God, come. And fire came and consumed it and it even licked all the water. And he looked at them and said, y'all messed up. And he took out a sword and he executed all 450 prophets of Baal. It was amazing. But then Jezebel comes to him 
in 1 Kings 19 and says, I am going to kill you tomorrow as I did to all these men, and you, as you did to all these men. And you know what he did? He ran and hid. He gave up his ministry. So that's what the Lord showed me. And I've preached on that chapter before about how God calls out to him and he's like, you know, the still small voice and it wasn't there and all the different parts of it, right? But actually, if you get to the end of it, when he cries out and says, I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, I got a remnant of 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And if you're giving up, I'm going to use them. As a matter of fact, go back and anoint Jehu. Go back and anoint Elisha. They're going to take care of it because you're done. See, the way you respond to the opposition of the enemy is going to determine your longevity in your walk and your ministry. The way that you respond to the opposition of the enemy is going to determine your longevity in the ministry. Oh, I'm not called to be in the ministry. Yes, you are. Every single believer is called to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. It's not just the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, and the apostles. It's every single believer has a ministry appointed onto them to reach the lost. In your circle of influence, and I think that's the word Pastor Hunter used when he was praying over this couple that was up here at the front. See, every single one of you have a circle of influence, people that your pastor can't reach, people that I can't reach, people that the person next to you can't reach, but you are called to reach. Elijah did not react well. He gave up on his ministry. And there was a few things that you saw take place afterwards, but in, first Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 1, he ascended to be with the Lord. Nothing big happened after the incident with Jezebel. King Hezekiah responded differently. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. And I, I, I'm going to ask you for forgiveness in advance, even though I'm not truly asking for forgiveness. I preach with a lot of scripture. It's funny, at my church, I'll have people visit us and they'll, they'll tell me things like, Pastor, it was so refreshing to hear someone preach out of the Bible. I'm like, what else are you supposed to preach out of? <laughs> I have something, I say this almost every week at our pulpit. If I ever say anything that's opposite to what the Bible says, I'm wrong and the Bible's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. I say it all the time. Hezekiah responded a little differently. I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Are you with me this morning? Hunter and Liz, I forgive you. You guys told me it was going to be cold in here. And I'm sweating. Where's the vent? It's too close to people. Oh. Hezekiah, chapter 29, Second Chronicles, verse number 2. Let's read verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. We can preach right there about the fact that God can use you at whatever age you're at. I mean, Josiah was named king at eight years old and brought reformation to Israel. Hezekiah was 25. See, no matter what facet of life you're in, God still has a purpose in you and wants to use you. 
if you're young, if you're in the middle, or if you're entering the golden years, there is a purpose upon your life that God wants to use. But I'm not preaching on that today. We'll, we can do that in the future. So it says that he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse number two. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Look what he did in the first year. First, verse number three. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So the first thing he did as king was repair the doors to the house of the Lord. The next thing he did, as you continue reading there, I'm not going to read every single verse, but the next thing he did is was he called the king. He called the priests and the Levites to sanctify themselves. See, the priests and the Levites, they forgot what they were supposed to be doing because his father, Hezekiah's father, he did what was contrary to what God had wanted him to do. That's another sermon there. It doesn't matter that your parents didn't know God. It doesn't matter that you grew up in a home that didn't pursue the Lord. How about if you surrender fully and God's got something he can do in you? So he repaired the walls or the doors. He called the priests and the Levites to sanctify himself, to sanctify themselves. He restored the temple. As you continue reading in those chapters, and I want you to read it later. Again, you can read it throughout this week. Read 2 Chronicles 29, 30, 31, all those chapters, and 32. Read them. It's four chapters. You can read them over and over again. In chapter number 30, it says that he reestablished the Passover. The Bible says that they saw a Passover like had not been had in Israel since the days of Solomon, and they never had that way again. The Bible says that this man called all of the scattered tribes of Israel to come to the Passover. And it says that they couldn't just do it in a week. They had to extend it because of the amount of people that finally came back. Why? He had repaired the doors and opened the doors to the temple. Thank God we've opened the doors of the temple after COVID. So many churches that still haven't opened the doors. He opened the doors. He called the Levites to consecrate themselves. It wasn't his role to call the Levites to be consecrated. But we've got a heck of a whole lot of pastors all around the world that don't live consecrated lives. And it's time for a Hezekiah to rise up. So he he did all of these things and the Passover was so large. As a matter of fact, not just that the Passover was so large, it says that the Levites were humbled and had to go restore themselves and get right with God. They felt the fact that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing because the king stood. (laughs) What if believers all across this amazingly great nation would stand up and do the things that their pastors weren't doing? Would it not spark the revival that we're crying out for? When the pastors look and say, hey, my flock is seeking God more than I am. My flock is pursuing more than I am. I better adjust. I better get right. I better pursue. I remember when I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school. And in ninth grade, I had a a Bible teacher. His name was Mr. Rutherford. And Mr. Rutherford and I didn't see eye to eye with biblical concepts. I believed in the full gospel and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And Mr. Rutherford thought that the gifts of the Spirit ended at the first century church. So every single Bible class, it was a Christian school, I had Bible class every day. Every single Bible class, I would bring him scripture and he would bring me books. I was in ninth grade and I would look at him and I would say, bro, you're only bringing me books written by men. I'm bringing you the word of God. I've always been a little bold in my faith, all right? I came to Christ when I was eight years old, grew up in a Catholic home, going to parochial school. And as a third grader, when I came to Christ and started reading my little red Bible, I was taken to confession, like they do in every parochial school. Anybody ever here go to parochial school? No? Is that a Miami thing only? I mean, in Miami, we've got parochial schools every other block almost, right? Lots of Hispanics, I guess. <laughs> I won't forget that priest was Father Quinn. Father Quinn called me into a chapel, into the confessional room, and said, you know, oh, David, you know, when's been the last time since your last confession or whatever? And I looked at him, and I opened up my Bible, and I said to him, <laughs> I read to him out of the scripture that says, there is one mediator between God and man, the person Jesus Christ. And then I looked up at him and I said, that's not you. So I've always been a little bold in my faith. I was at that parochial school for a year and a half after that. I was never asked to go to confession again, <laughs> ever. Bold in your faith. He kept the Passover. Chapter 31 talks about the reformations that he brought to Israel. He knocked down all the high places that they had begun to do. Everything that had begun to be built and done to honor God, but really to honor other gods, he destroyed them all. But then opposition came. How many of you know that opposition will come? Opposition will come, and again, the way that you deter, to, to resolve yourself to, to face that opposition, it's going to determine your life. It's going to determine your ministry. I just showed you, I, uh, Elijah, he ran into a cave and said, take my life, God. She's coming after me, and I'm alone. Switch to 2 Kings 18. In 2 Kings 18 through 19, you also read about Hezekiah. Do you know it's important to read your whole Bible? All right, good. The story of Hezekiah, you can really read through it in 2 Kings. You read it in 2 Chronicles. You read it in Isaiah because Isaiah was the prophet during the time of King Hezekiah. And it is also believed that Micah wrote his prophecies during the same reign. There's a lot of reading to do about the time of the king Hezekiah in the 29 years that he reigned over Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 18, if you got it, say amen. Amen. All right, look what it says. We're going to start reading in verse number one again. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was 
his mother's name is Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Interesting, he even had to break down the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Why? Because people had made an idol out of it. All right, something else to preach about. Let it sit. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Dude, this guy was sitting pretty. And then opposition came. The Bible says, says that the Assyrians began to come against them by the king named Zennacherib. And as a matter of fact, this king, which came again, Hezekiah, caused Hezekiah to enter some fear and told this king, hey, I'm sorry, my bad. What do you want me to do? The king imposed a fine or tariffs on him. So the doors that he had rebuilt, he took all of the gold and all of the things from the house of the Lord and gave it to this guy. So he, he went from being okay to falling into a place and a trap of fear and giving back everything he had been used by God to rebuild. But how many of you know we have a God who is merciful, okay? All right. So that's where we are. Hezekiah began to pay tribute to his enemy. It says it there in verse number 14 of 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Syria at Lachish, saying, I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors. He redid the doors and he stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. How many of you know that when you begin to conform to the opposition of the enemy, it will never be enough? When you begin to conform to the opposition of the enemy, it'll never be enough. This king imposed a tribute. Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the house of the Lord and gave it to him. And you know what Zennacherib, whatever his name is, did after that? He came to invade them. Do you know that that's why the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold? Because if you give him a, a, a finger, he'll take the whole hand. Oh, it's only one drink. It's only one hit. It's only one date. It's only one conversation. It's only one thing. How many of you know that Samson didn't start off by telling Delilah how to cut his hair and lose it? He started by going and getting honey from the carcass of the lion. He started by walking through the vineyard when the guy couldn't drink wine. Why was he in the vineyard? But that's where it started. So Hezekiah came from here, the place that he had gotten to, to a place where he went and told the king, 
Zennacherib, all right, impose whatever you want. I'm sorry. Here's the tribute. And then Zennacherib said, it ain't enough. Now I'm going to take your country too. Again, John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. (laughs) He's not satisfied with you. He wants you, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. He wants them all. So Hezekiah buckled at his knees a bit. Until the point where the king of Assyria began not to just threaten him, but he began to speak bad about God. See, that's where it shifted. That's where it shifted. Chapter 19, verse number 1 of 2 Kings. I told you we're going to read a lot of Bible, and that's okay. It says, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, and what did he hear? Well, there in chapter 18, they began to tell Hezekiah, or the people, hey, don't listen to when Hezekiah tells you God's going to deliver you. Have you seen the gods of every other kingdom that we've taken advantage of already? They've all been laid to waste. Don't listen to Hezekiah talk about your God. When Hezekiah heard this, he was was fine with the people insulting him. He was fine with the people taking him. He was fine with that. But when they began to insult God, he got indignant very righteously. And it says that he tore his clothes and, and covered himself with sackcloth and he went into the house of the Lord. He went back to the place that he had reopened but forgot about. And he sent Eliakim, verse 2, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. We need a C-section. first c-section in the bible that just hit me sorry god's hilarious it may be that the lord your god will hear all the words of the rabshakeh and whom his master the king of assyria has sent to reproach the living god and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Originally, I was going to preach on remnant. But last night, I texted Pastor Hunter. I was like, I'm sorry. God wants me to preach something different. And just give the media team these scriptures and follow me. And we'll (laughs) pray for the best. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his old land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword, (laughs) 
in his own land. Do not be afraid of the words. Do not be afraid of the words that the enemy has used the king of Assyria to speak over your life. Do not be afraid of the words that the enemy has used the king of Assyria to speak over your marriage, to speak over your children, to speak over your health, to speak over your finances, to speak over your descendants. Do not be afraid of the words. For God says, I've got you. Look what continues to happen. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. For he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tiranoth, the king of Ethiopia. Look, he's come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you, as shall you, be del- and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Respa, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seraphim, Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. It shifted from spoken word to a letter. He gave it to him in writing. And Hezekiah took the letter and did something prophetic with it. Look at what it says in verse 14. He received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up. This is again, this is a new time again, to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah took the letter and spread it before the Lord. And he prayed this. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. I'm gonna segue for a second, just just stay there. How many of you know that when the disciples asked Jesus to pray, to teach them to pray, and he taught them the Our Father, it was a model of how to pray. Okay, what does the Our Father say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Watch the model of the Our Father right here. Watch, watch. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells in heaven, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Our Father who art in heaven, you're the one that rocks. I encourage you, every time you read your Bible and you read somebody pray, look for Jesus' teaching on how to pray. And you'll see it from Genesis through Revelation. He was bringing reverence unto God before he was 
Thy, king, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Others in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. After he brought reverence, he looked and said, incline your ear. Yeah. Hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words that Zerechadib, can't say it right, <laughs> which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, O God, our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Hezekiah didn't run to a cave with the letter. Hezekiah ran to the house of the Lord and laid the letter out before the Lord and prayed. And then God answered. And, it, and God's answer is all the way from verse 21 through 34, but I'm, I'm not going to read all of it, okay? You can read it later for homework. But look what he says in verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he's not going to come into your city. He's not going to shoot an arrow there. He's not going to come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God answered and delivered. And if you continue to read it, it says that God sent his angel, the angel of the Lord, into their land and killed one 185,000 men of Assyria. Hezekiah didn't lift a sword. They didn't go to battle. He laid the letter before the Lord. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's time that we lay the letter before the Lord. Watch this, watch this. Worship team, start coming up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were threatened, but they didn't bow. They were told, we're going to throw you into a furnace and heat it up seven times, but they didn't bow. Daniel was threatened. See, the devil, the, the, uh, watch the theme here. He operates with threats. Daniel was threatened. And he was told, don't pray. But he opened the window as it was his custom three times a day. And he prayed. And they went to throw in the lion's den. And when the king woke up the next morning and said, Daniel. He said, don't scream too loud. I'm sleeping with the lions. <laughs> God sent his angel to close their mouth. Sanballat threatened Nehemiah. But Nehemiah built the wall. The Sanhedrin threatened Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. I encourage you to read Acts chapter 4. It says that they threatened them and told them, don't speak about this Jesus. But you know what they did? They got with everybody and they prayed for boldness. I, I got to read the verse. I'm sorry. 
Acts chapter four. I'm gonna just read through it real quick. They threatened them, verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Do you see the Lord's prayer again? Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, when they had spread the letter of the threats before the Lord, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak or they spoke the word of God with boldness. Paul and Silas cast the demon out and were thrown into jail because of it. And they didn't go into the bottom of the jail into the pit at Calabozo. It just sounds better in Spanish. And sit there and say, woe is me no 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 they spread the letter before the Lord and began to pray and worship and an earthquake came and shook the building and opened the doors of their prison and every other prisoner watch this now because they spread the letter before the Lord and when the jailer came and said the doors are open they must all be gone and pulled out his sword to kill himself. They said, yo, stop, we're here. And the jailer took him to his house, said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe you and your house will be saved. Believe, go get baptized. They baptized them that same night because they spread their letter before the Lord. There's a reason there's a sheet of paper before, be, be, be underneath every one of your seats. I want everybody to get that sheet of paper out. And when I tell you, now don't do it yet because I want to share something else. You're going to begin to write down the threats that the enemy has made upon you, your life, your marriage, your children. And in worship, we're going to lay them before the Lord. Don't write your name on them because they're gonna be up here and we're gonna pray over them. And guess what? Since God's delivering and answering, you're not taking those letters of threats back. But don't start writing yet. I wanna tell you about a letter I received, an actual physical letter. So my wife and I, we, we, we got married in January of the year 2007. And several years later, as we were trying to have children, we couldn't. 
And we began to do all of the different things that you would do. We went to the doctors and she got checked and she was complete healthy. So they said, well, we got to check you. And so I had to go to the doctor and they had to test my sperm. And I got a letter in the mail that said it wasn't good enough to make children. But because the devil is the way he is. I got the letter at the time that one of my bestest friends, who's a pastor, Pastor Landon Schott out in Fort Worth, Texas. He was staying with me that weekend because he was ministering at our youth camp. And he said, watch how the devil is. Somebody knocked on the door and gave me this letter because it was put in a different mailbox. They didn't put it in my mailbox where I got it. No, no, no. It was given to me by a man of God that I respect. With a sentence that said, what God commands everybody to do, be fruitful and multiply, will not work in you. And I took it. For months, we kept saying, we're going to pray Do we do fertility? No, we're just going to pray. We're going to give it to God. And about six months passed. And my wife was late on her period, her menstrual cycle. We were actually at a baby shower when she got her cycle. And she comes out of the bathroom and I read on her face that something wasn't right. tried to hold it up smile we're at my cousin's baby shower but we got in the car and we said enough's enough I finally woke up at that moment I had spent about five or six months trying saying that I was giving it to God but it was all saying it It took that to realize that I had to go to God for real. And actually that day we didn't drive home. We drove to Babies R Us. And we started buying stuff for this baby that said we couldn't have. And actually, the next day, I was supposed to be preaching at a church in Broward. I hadn't launched our church yet. I was a youth pastor. And the Lord just kept hitting me, what report are you going to believe? I was being like Elijah for a bit. I was hiding in a cave. I was saying the right things, but what am I going to do? No, no, no. What report are you going to believe? And I preached that message. And I did something very similar to this with a slight difference because we're not doing that. It's, but I did something similar. I said, write down the enemy's words and I want you to come to the altar and you're going to rip it and go back to your seats and you're going to find a verse that backs up what God says. Again, that's not what we're doing right now. We're going to write this down. We're going to lay it at the altar. God told me to do something different, but we're bringing 
a spiritual thing into a physical manifestation to call down the power of God. And this little old lady comes up and she says, God gave me a verse, but it wasn't for me. He says it's for you. I'll be honest with you, I'd never seen this lady. I was at a church I'd never been at before. I've never been to it since. And if the lady stood in front of me, I don't know what she would look like right now. And she said, God gave me a verse and it's for you. And I read the verse and you know what the verse said? I gotta read it. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. When I finally laid my letter before the Lord, God immediately answered and said, enlarge. Can I tell you something? That was December 19th of the year 2009. My wife didn't see another menstrual cycle until she weaned Abigail off of nursing. It was in the minute that we realized and in the house of the Lord, we spread our letter out. And I want you to take a moment to think of the enemy's threats upon your life. Pastor, you want us to, yes, yes. Think of every vile demonic lie that has been spoken over you to kill, to steal, and to destroy, and write them down. And then we're gonna lay them before the Lord. And that breakthrough, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see that breakthrough. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.